Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Family, I don't know what your geography is like, especially biblical geography. But it's going to play an important role this morning, and you'll see that um, for most of the book of Acts, we've been in the city of Jerusalem, and then in the outskirts of Jerusalem, which we call Judea, and then right next to the area of Judea is a place called Samaria. Now, Judea is predominantly Jewish, and Samaria, even though they're not, I don't know how to put this with that it doesn't sound terrible, but it's a mixed race nation of Jewish heritage. And so they still hold to Jewish rites and practices. And so they would consider themselves still sort of the people of God. But outside of these areas, as you move north, you would go into what Jews would describe Gentile country, which just means unbelievers, people not chosen, people not of the way, not God's people. And so this morning... You'll see how God's plan isn't contained by borders, how God moves beyond the borders put up by men. In light of that, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We know that you have a word for us this morning. And we know this because we're reading and we're preaching out of your word. And every time we open the Bible, we behold your glory. And so we pray that in beholding, we would become. Change our hearts, convict us, and turn us from our ways that we would put once again our faith and our trust in the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. Amen. Acts, or the book of Acts, is unfolding like a movie right now. You have many different characters and you've got many different plots and subplots. And so every time we go through a different chapter of Acts, it's like different scenes are playing out in different places. But all of those themes and all of those scenes actually play together and form one central theme, which in the book of Acts is the ever-expanding kingdom of God, the message of the gospel going forth to all nations. The preaching of the good news empowered through the Holy Spirit. And so last week, for the first time, we were introduced to a new character in the book of Acts, a man named Saul, who later we would know as Paul and his missionary journeys. This week, the story shifts back to a character that we've actually been known, or that we have known for a long time, that we've known through the Gospel of Luke, and I've come to know who Jesus referred to as the rock of the church. And this is Peter and Peter's story. Now today's passage is a quantum leap, if you will. A massive leap forward in the narrative of Acts, in this movie that is playing out in the expansion of the kingdom of God. Everything that we've known up until now about the church and the people of God will change in today's text. God has used Peter in the past, in miraculous ways, he's used them almost as a kickstart for the church of God, preaching boldly, performing miracles, and showing from scriptures, which today we know as the Old Testament, 
and proving that Jesus is in fact the promised Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. And we saw today even in the two first miracles of today's passage that this was standard practice for Peter. But what is interesting to note is the area where all of this was happening and where Peter has been going to and from. You would have heard the towns, and this is probably my Afrikaans accent, but Joppa and Sharon, both of those towns are still in Judean territory, meaning that they're inhabited by Jews. And the, the places where Peter was traveling to and from and the places where he was performing these miracles and where people were believing and being added to the church was still within Judean territory where mostly Jews lived. And these Jews were still considered to be the people of God purely by the fact that they were of Jewish descent. And so even though it was miraculous and it was good that the church was growing, it wasn't mind-shifting for them because they already viewed themselves as the people of God. And so now only the people of God were added to the church of God. Or at least that's probably how they viewed it. And so everything that has happened in the book of Acts was either in Judea or Samaria. And so meanwhile, we see the scene happening where Peter was in Yopa in Judean country and he was doing everything that we was doing the book of Acts or at least the scene shifts suddenly for the first time outside of this territory. We're taken and we learn of a man named Cornelius. Read with me chapter 10 verses 1 or 2. We see that at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, if you know your geography, I don't, but I've looked up maps. Caesarea is north of Samaria. So here you have Jerusalem, the center of the world, or at least for the Jewish world, and then you've got Judean country. North of that, you've got the area of Samaria and even more north of that you've got the city of Caesarea and we learn of this man named Cornelius he is a centurion meaning that he is a soldier employed by the Roman government the same government that is controlling and even oppressing the Jews in Judea we learn that Cornelius isn't a Jew. In fact, he's not even a Samaritan. What he is, what was, what was then known as a Gentile. However, we do read that even though he wasn't of Jewish descent or even close to the Jewish religious centers, that he was a God-fearing man. That this Cornelius was true in his faith, and we know that he was true in his faith by looking at his actions. This was a man that was praying continually to God, and this was a man that gave generously to the people around him. And God appeared to him in a vision and spoke to him through an angel, saying that his prayers have been heard, and God has seen the giving of his alms. Isn't that amazing? That God actually notices that, and God appears to this man Cornelius. And he tells Cornelius, therefore he should send men and go fetch a man named Peter in Joppa. And so Cornelius obliges. And he sends the men. And as the men are on their, on their way to Peter, the camera angle or the scene quickly shifts back to Peter. Whilst all of this was happening, 
Peter was staying with a tanner and he was on the roof and he was praying. And whilst he was praying, he saw a vision. It looked like a cloth was descending from heaven. And on that cloth, you had all the different animals on earth, reptiles and birds of the air and animals on the ground. And a voice came to Peter and said, rise, kill and eat, which was strange because Peter was a Jew. And he rightly replied, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten something that is common or unclean. However, the Lord said, do not call common or unclean that which I have made clean. And Peter was perplexed, and rightly so. Why Peter was perplexed and what he was referring to was the Jewish law, or more specifically, the Mosaic law, the law that was given to Moses by God. And so you see, family, right at the beginning, that humankind sinned against God. And because God is a holy God that creates separation between mankind and God. Holiness can't mix with impurity. And there's a big reason for this. It's not because God didn't want to mix with the people of God or with the people of earth, but he couldn't. God's holiness can't mix with sinful people because his holiness burns so pure that it would consume us. God burns like the sun. It is awesome and beautiful and good to look at and so pure. But the moment something of impurity comes close to it, it would be destroyed and consumed. And so God, being missional of nature, wanting to be and live amongst his chosen people, the Jewish nation, he gave them a system to not only remind them of this beautiful, terrifying fact that he is a holy God and needs to be served as such, but also as a witness, as a demonstration to the rest of the world that the God that they served was holy. The word holiness means unique or different. And so for the people of Israel to live as the people of God then, they needed to live in a unique or different way. And so God gave them this Mosaic law. And this law shows them the distinction between them, the people of God, and the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the rest of the world. That meant that if you were to be identified as a person of God or the people of God, you needed to observe this law very closely. They were to live in a certain way, do things a certain way, orient their whole lives in a certain way. It specified who they were able to associate with. It specified what they were able to eat and not eat. A God-fearing Jew was not allowed to eat or be in the same room as a Gentile. Otherwise, they would be considered unclean. It was even specific to what they were allowed to eat and not eat. Lamb was in, pork was out. Sorry for the pork crackling for the people of God. But when the voice came to Peter and said, do not call, or who told you to call this clean or unclean? And Peter probably thought to himself, well, you did. And the voice told Peter, do not call unclean what God has made clean. And so Peter was perplexed because it was God who gave the law, God who named those things unclean. And this happened three times. And every time when we see things in the Bible happen, th in the Bible happen three times, it's to emphasize a point. It's to drive a certain point home. And so at that stage, Peter was still in the dark about what was happening and what he was seeing. We can see that he's got no idea what the meaning of this is. And as he's thinking about this, the men from the Gentile country arrives at his home. 
And fortunately for them, the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter and says, Hey, there are these cats coming to your home. Don't threat. Go with them. I sent them. And if God didn't tell him that, then a God-fearing Peter probably would not have gone with Gentiles. So when the men came, Peter went with them as directed by the Spirit. And he took other Jews with him. I don't know if it was for accountability or just check out what's going or to testify that he's not breaking any laws, but he took other guys with him to go and see what's up in Caesarea. And so they came to Cornelius' home and they entered that home, which must have been very difficult for Peter. Try and think of this. Peter's whole life was oriented around the laws of Moses. Never in his life before has he ever entered a Gentile believer's home. He's never been in the same room as a Gentile. And so he's never experienced something like this in his life before. Everything in his fiber must have kicked against this or must have told him you're doing something wrong. But yet he believes God and he moves into that space. Read with me verse 28 and 29. Peter's just making sure that they understand what's happening. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown to me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And so we see that there's some progression in Peter's understanding of the vision. He's like, okay. I see that I'm allowed in this house that somehow, I don't know exactly what it means, but I can't call you guys unclean. And so I'm willing to commune with you right now to see what's up. Here the end. And so Cornelius then tells them all the story of the vision that he had. Tells them that it's not by his own choice that he saw this vision of God. He saw the angel speaking to him. And so here the end of the story and Peter's response to the story of Cornelius in verse 33. Cornelius said, After this vision, so I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. See the humility of Cornelius. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Astonishing to Peter that the, the Lord appeared to a Gentile. And so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, no favoritism, no distinction. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Man, it seems like Peter is starting to understand that through the blood of Jesus, he kind of knew this, but it didn't go through to his, all his cultural inclinations. That through the blood of Jesus, all people now have equal access to God the Father. Peter then proceeds to share the gospel message with them. And I want us to particularly note verses 42 and 43 of this gospel message. Peter tells and he shares this with them and he says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed to, by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so what Peter, at this stage, we can see that there's gradual stages of revelation. At this stage, Peter recognizes the fact 
that the vertical level between God and man has been made accessible through Christ. So all people have access to the Father through Jesus. What we're yet to see is that Peter also believes the horizontal level, that because of Christ's blood, we're not only made family with God, but then we're also made family with one another. You see, God might not be partial to the people around us, but I can still be. <laughs> My cultural boundaries might still keep me from one another. So Peter is at this stage realizing only the vertical leg. But as he is sharing the gospel, the next miraculous thing happens. The Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word. And all the Jews that accompanied Peter were amazed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit fell on Gentiles. This was a big deal. This is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the seal of the new covenant. God could not be joined with that which is impure. If the Holy Spirit then fell on the Gentiles, surely it also now means that they are pure. They are also chosen. They are also now God's people. And to reaction to this, Peter can't keep himself in. He commands them to be baptized. And this is significant for Peter's final revelation of what God is doing. You see, friends, baptism is the new covenant sign that people are added to the church. It is the external sign of what has happened internally it is the external sign that god has added them to the family that god has added them to the church this is the external sign that they're not just now joined with god but they're with everyone in the church it is the horizontal leg that communicates not only are you family with god but you're also family with me and it breaks down the external barriers. This is once again reiterated when Peter and his companions returned to the, to the Jerusalem and Judean church. Those of the circumcision party, the old covenant sign, were at first angry that Peter transgressed the law. But then they heard the testimony. They saw how God was reconciling Gentiles, not just with him, but also with one another. And hear their reaction in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. We see the major shift in the covenant that God has made with his people. In the first covenant, to be part of God's people, you needed to be of Jewish descent, or at least you needed to be a Jew in rights and obedience, and the covenantal sign was the circumcision. Now the new covenant is inaugurated by Jesus. And so through faith and repentance in his name, God now grants repentance to all people. And here's the main point, family. God is not partial to anyone. Meaning, he is not limited to saving anyone and he does not have any favorites. God shows grace indiscriminately. 
those that accept this love, that love and fear God, respond in obedience and faith and the outward sign of being part of this family is to be baptized. Then you never get baptized into a vacuum. You always get baptized into the church. And so what we see happening in the new covenant is actually not inclusive uh, or exclusivity. It's now an inclusivity. It's God adding everyone under the banner of Jesus Christ. And this is what it means for us today. If God shows no partiality, nor should we. God makes no distinction on who is to receive grace, and nor should we. And this has application for how we view ourselves and how we view the people around us. So let's first look at ourselves for those that call themselves Christians. Firstly, if God shows no partiality, it means that we are saved by grace. Not because of who we are, what you've done, what you didn't do. We need constant reminding of this. Because if you've been a Christian for a while, the thoughts might start creeping to your mind that you actually deserve this. That you know what? You're actually Christian family material. And so that's why you were just particular to the gospel message. That's why you were partial to receiving the message because your lifestyle is in any case aligned to this. That's why God chose you. That's why you're lucky to be part of this family because of who you are. No family where we weren't partial to the message. <laughs> doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home. doesn't matter if you're not aware of when you became a Christian. It was through the grace, only through grace that we could recognize the truth and the beauty of the gospel. And this truth should change us. What it should do, because this is only grace, it should create a type of humility within us. And not just humility, but also a type of thankfulness of that God was even able to save me. It was only because of grace. And so the question isn't, God, why did you choose to save me? Because it's not about you. Rather, the spotlight should not be on why you and what you have done and why he is walking this road with you, but rather on the glorious nature of Christ. That because of Christ, you can be saved. Praise God for Christ. Praise God for sending his son. Love his son. Obey his son. We see in this passage that the first step in loving the Father is obedience to the Son. And the first step in accepting this grace and the first step of obedience is actually to be baptized. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Peter didn't really give them the option to be baptized. He commanded everyone that received the Spirit to be baptized. Baptism is a powerful testimony to yourself to God and to the rest of the church, to the rest of the community of faith of what God has done in you. So not even your baptism is about you. It is there so that the church can be encouraged and witness again how God saves people in spite of who they are, not because of who they are. I'm really excited for when we will start having baptisms at Great Door Church. Seeing more people come to church is great. Having breakaways together as a church is great. Serving together is great. Missional communities are great. DNA groups are great. Miracles are great. 
Speaking in tongues is great. Having a word of prophecy is great. But baptisms are phenomenal. And the reason is because it points to the greatest miracle ever performed. Someone that was everlasting dead now raised to everlasting life. People's sins are forgiven. If we want to get excited about something in Red Door Church, it should be baptisms. When we have a baptism, we should celebrate and party. (laughs) We should get so excited because it points to the purest form of the gospel. Someone undeserving receiving grace from God. And so on that note, family, if you're a Christian, I implore you, if you haven't yet, to be baptized. Not for me, not for the church even, but in reverent obedience to God. Also, maybe you're on a faith journey. Maybe you think that you've recently come to faith or you've got questions about the faith and about baptism. I really want to invite you to come and chat with me. This is such a great opportunity to believe who God is and what he is doing in your life. I would love to show you and walk with you how, what an amazing gift baptism is and how God uses it to strengthen the faith of the church. And so our first step in our Christian journey is that we proclaim to our own heart and to the people around me, I accept this grace of God. It is recognizing with humility and thankfulness that your salvation is not accredited to anything that you might have done, but is placed squarely on the shoulders of the man on the cross. What a beautiful covenant sign that God has given us. And so secondly, God's not partial to anyone is a good reminder for us in the church, but it's so good as we think about outsiders. God that shows no partiality is good news for the people around us. Because as he isn't partial to people, nor should we be. In other words, we shouldn't make distinction between people. We shouldn't try and decide who deserves grace and not. We shouldn't try and try and decide and choose who should be able to receive our love and our grace and who shouldn't. I mean, there's many sermons that we can have on this, especially when it comes to cultural biases, when it comes to racism and racist biases. We're going to get to that later. We don't have time for that this morning. But rather, we just want to say indiscriminately that those who God has placed on my, to- on my path, I want to show grace to And family, this is harder than it seems. I don't know if you've heard the term, but a lot of people call church folk clicky or um, insider-focused. I don't feel welcome there. There's a good reason for this. Any group of people, if you spend enough time together, if if you've got the same mission and you've got the same goals or the same ideals, they will form a cohesion within that group. And that group will become partial to people that think and talk like them this is a natural process and inherently i don't think that's a bad thing it's just natural what happens to any group of people that spend time together if you're someone that likes dancing you're going to hang out with people that enjoys dancing and you're going to be partial to people who enjoy dancing however the difference comes in and how we use the usness that we enjoy as a christian family we will form a cohesion as if, 
church family, and we should. But are we using our usness to be exclusive and to keep other people out? Or are we using the family unit that God is creating in our midst to actually invite people in? You're only welcome if you're willing to conform to the way we operate. You're only accepted if you walk and talk and dress the way we do. The only way that we as a church family can combat this to make sure that we're not continually inclusive and inward focused is to always be mission-minded. To have our collective idea that we hold dear is to be on mission together. Family, at Red Door, never will the focus ever be to first build our family first and then focus on the nations outward to go on mission. No. We read and see even in Jesus' ministry that we grow together as a family as we live on mission together. As we actually reach out and love the people around us, inadvertently God uses that to draw us closer together. It's never a first us and then the rest. It's never Red Dwarf Church first and then the world. It's always Jesus and Jesus is in and through and for everyone. God shows no partiality. If we don't do this, we will become short-sighted and comfortable. It's going to be so comfortable just to have the same people to talk to. Not to have the awkward, small talk conversations with new people. It's difficult. It's effort. But we actually become fit in those conversations as we continually put ourselves outside of our comfort zones and into spaces where we can reach out to our friends and neighbors and colleagues. Red door not to be partial means that we are always to live on mission together. And the mission itself cannot be partial. We have the great privilege to be bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ. God could have used angels to spread his message, yet he made us ambassadors. And being ambassadors, we cannot do what we cannot do is pick and choose who should receive this message and who shouldn't. We are not the ones who decide who is worthy of the gospel message and who is not. No one is close enough to the kingdom of God that they deserve the grace, but no one is far enough gone that they are unable to be saved through this grace. Which begs the question, with who then shall we share this great message? And the answer is quite simple, with anyone who is willing to listen. Anyone and everyone who is willing to to listen. There are people in your life right now, church family, and you can think about it. There are people that God has placed on your road and in your life, at your workplace, in your family circles, in your friendship circles, that God has specifically and sovereignly ordained for you to be in their lives that you can share the gospel message with them. And there are some of them that we don't want to <laughs> because it's difficult. However, God wants to use no one else. He wants to use you to reach them. The fun thing about this missional strategy is you don't even have to travel to another country to be a missionary. We should do that as well. But we are missionaries right now where you are, where God has placed you. And so listen to the disclaimer. Of course it is to those who are willing to listen. 
We need to pray and to discern when and how to share this message. You need to ask advice and share with your com- mission or community. You need to develop friendships and relationships and create the fertile ground with which we can share the gospel message. But what we cannot do is withhold the message to someone who wants to hear it, with someone that needs to hear it, with someone that doesn't fit our profile that shouldn't hear it. And so lastly, family, in closing, you might be sitting here or you might have been sitting in church for the longest time and you reckon that because God is a God of love and because he is not partial to anyone, that he will simply save everyone. God shows no partiality to those who fear him. I want to remind us of verses 42 and 43. Jesus is the one through whom we receive forgiveness and sins, but he is also the judge. God's holiness will prevail. He will remain glorious, and every person that does not submit to his glory will be removed from his presence. My plea this morning is that we would not be convicted of our sins, but rather that we would be convinced of God's goodness towards us. A holy God can and should be partial only to those who deserve it, and yet he is not. May we turn to him in faith and obedience. May we taste that grace. May we share it with one another and with the people out there who don't deserve it. May we love recklessly because we have been recklessly loved. Amen. Father, we pray to you this morning as we dove into this mammoth text and the mammoth implications that it actually has for our lives, for our context, and for the mission of the church. This shakes up everything, Father. Suddenly, we are not only in our holy huddle, able to associate only with those people who we feel comfortable with, who speaks the same language and looks the same and likes the same things that I do, but rather you have sent us to the nations. This gospel message breaks forth and it cannot be contained. And yet, Lord, if we're honest, at the best of times it feels like that we want to contain it for our own sakes, that we want to enjoy the benefits and almost become like lazy children rather than actively enjoying the grace as we share it with others. We pray against this fallacy in the church, Father, that we first need to focus on ourselves and on our family before we focus on those around us. We thank you and we love you that your partiality means that not, yet, not only are we also joined with the Father, but we're joined with one another. I pray that we would recognize and realize this even more and more. Even in this church right now, we are still a bunch of strangers added to this room. I do pray that you would grow this family. I do pray that you would grow the relationships and the us-ness. But I do pray that this us-ness would not be exclusive, but be a space to invite others in. To be a space for healing to be a space of non-judgmental invitation to the gospel. We thank you that the only way that we will be able to continue to do this is as you remind us of the beauty of the gospel. For that, we love you and we believe in you.
Amen.